So have you ever felt like life is just way too complicated? I know over the last nine, ten months, I have definitely, definitely felt that way. It just feels like there's so much unknown. There's so much uncertainty. There's so much differencing, uh, difference of opinions. Uh, it's just been so difficult sometimes to navigate, you know, so many areas of life, whether that's, you know, with the pandemic, that whether that's with our families, whether that's in our finances, uh, how we do our jobs. There's just so many things over this past year that have really made life feel so incredibly complicated. Definitely true in my life, and I'm willing to guess it was true in your life this year as well. But what about when it comes to church? What about when it comes to your faith? Do you find church or do you find faith to be complicated. Have you ever felt that way? You know, like you just you're asking yourself questions of like why why are things the way they are? What why is God working the way God is working? Why can't I hear God? Why does God feel so far? All these different questions. Why is the world the way the world is? Why do horrible things happen? Right? Sometimes faith can seem very complicated. And that's what I want us to talk about today as we continue our series in the Gospel of Luke. Last week, we started this brand new series called King for All. And we're looking at the Gospel of Luke. We're looking at the life, the ministry of Jesus. And we're looking at the people that were impacted by Jesus's life and his teaching and his ministry. And my hope and my desire for us as a church family, and for those of us who may be joining us for the first time, and you don't consider yourself a part of the church family, but you're just checking things out. My prayer for all of us is that we would actually look at the life of Jesus, the ministry of Jesus, the people impacted by Jesus, and then look at our own lives. We look at our own lives. We look at our personal lives. We look at the life of our church, and we kind of look at how are we personally doing when it comes to following Jesus? How are we doing as a church when it comes to following Jesus? So we're going to be in this series right up until Easter. So we'll spend the next couple of months together here in Luke's Gospel. Now, if you're kind of new to the Bible, uh, this gospel is one of the four gospels that are found in the New Testament that describe for us the life and ministry of Jesus. And Luke, who is the author of this particular gospel, um, was a physician. He was a doctor. And so he writes kind of a very clear and precise account on who Jesus is. And Luke was very specific in his reason for writing this gospel down, because we know from church history and the dating of these ancient um, documents that this was probably written after Mark wrote his gospel, and Luke used Mark's gospel as a springboard for putting together his. That's why there's a lot of similarities between the two. So why did Luke feel he needed to write one when there was already the one by Mark? Well, we don't know exactly what was going through his head in the moment or what the Holy Spirit was doing in his life at the moment. But we do know this, that he wrote in Luke chapter 1, verse 4, 
he said the reasons that he put these things down, the reason why he wrote the gospel of Luke, his gospel account, why he wrote the book of Acts, of the, the work of the Holy Spirit and the apostles and the, the beginning of the new church. He said this, he goes, because he wants you. So he says he wrote this down so that you may know the certainty of the things that you have been taught. He wants you to know the certainty and that uh, emphasis on that word, <laughs> the certainty of the things that you have been taught. Because the reality is, at some point in all of our faith journey, we're going to come hit, we're going to be hit by doubt. We're going to be hit with questions. We're going to be hit with confusion. We're going to be hit you know, with those kind of the same temptations that hit Adam and Eve way back in the Garden of Eden when, when the serpent came to Adam and Eve and said, did God really say... <laughs> Did God really say not to do that? We get hit with those same temptations today. And so Luke put this together so that the things that we have been taught about Jesus, about who he is as fully God and fully man, as who he is as the Messiah, the one who has come to deal with the sin of humanity, the one who went to the cross, the one who became an offering, a sin offering before God to deal with my sin and your sin, who died who was placed in a tomb for three days, who rose from the dead, and then who ascended back into heaven. And so that those things that we have been taught about Jesus, this gospel helps us to get rooted and planted and to remind us of that certainty. All about the life, the teaching, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus. So today, as we kind of talk about complicated faith, we're going to look at Luke chapter 3, and uh, we're going to be looking at the story of John the Baptist. Now, John the Baptist is a relative of Jesus. John's mother, Elizabeth, was a cousin to Jesus' mother, Mary. And we saw way back in Luke chapter 1, it's not really way back, it's just one, one or two pages back, but we see that an angel came to John's father, a man named uh, Zechariah. And, and Zechariah was told by this angel that his wife was going to give birth to a son. Now, Zechariah and his wife are up there in age. They're up there in their years. And he's like, no, no, my wife has passed the childbearing years, so he doesn't believe the angel. And because of his unbelief, he is struck mute, and he is unable to speak until the day his son is born. And so on the day of John's birth... Zechariah's voice comes back to him, and it says here in, um, in uh, what is it here, Luke chapter 1, verse 67, it says here that he was filled with the Holy Spirit, and then he prophesied. So when he prophesied, he, he's declaring, he, he's, he's speaking into what God is doing. He's bringing a word from God here at this moment as he's filled with the Spirit of God. And look at what he says here. I'm going to kind of go down towards the end of his prophecy here, of what he cries out. And this is what he says about his son, John, starting in Luke chapter 1 in verse 76. He says, And you, my child, will be called a prophet of the Most High. For you will go on before the Lord to prepare the way for him, to give his people the knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins. Because of the tender mercy of our God, 
by which the rising sun will come to us from heaven to shine on those living in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet on the path of peace. So this is how Zechariah, the, the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit comes on him and he prophesies over the life of his newborn son. The one who's going to prepare the way for the Most High. They're going to prepare the way for the Lord. And he's going to bring knowledge of the salvation to all people. And this salvation comes through the forgiveness of their sin. See, John's not the one who's bringing salvation. John's not the one who's forgiving sin. He's just preparing people for this message. For the one who's going to shine light into the darkness. And then verse 80 kind of finishes this chapter off. It says, the child grew and became strong in spirit. And he lived in the wilderness until he appeared publicly to Israel. And then from the end of Luke chapter 1 to the beginning of Luke chapter 3, we jump about 30 years. We don't get any picture of John's life in between these moments. We just know that he grew up strong and then he appeared publicly. And that happens in Luke chapter 3. And it happens now that John is now doing this ministry that his father prophesied about. That he is beginning the ministry of preparing the way. His entire ministry was all about preparing the way for the Lord. So what I want to do is I want to kind of read Luke chapter 3. We're going to look at uh, John's ministry. We're going to look at how people interact with John. And then, and then we're going to bring this back. We're going to bring this back to your faith. We're going to bring this back to my faith. We're going to bring this back to our church. And what is it about church? What is it about faith that gets so complicated sometimes? And how can John's message bring us back to the simplicity of the message of Jesus? So let's look at this together. I'm reading from uh, Luke chapter 3. If you have a Bible with you, I encourage you to follow along, or you can follow along here on the Greenbelt Online Notes. Uh, someone usually puts these in the chat, or you can uh, click on the Notes tab, read them there. And if you're joining us today and your family does not own a physical Bible, I would love to send you one completely free of charge. I believe every house should have a Bible in it. Um, if you email me, kevin at greenbelt.church, just email me, we'll touch base. And I'm going to send you a Bible completely free. I would love to get one into your hands. So here, let's read here uh, Luke chapter 3. And so I'm actually going to skip down. I'm going to start in verse 3. So it's talking about John, John the Baptist now. It says, so he, being John, went into all the country around the Jordan, preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. As it is written in the book of the words of Isaiah the prophet, a voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare, prepare the way of the Lord, make straight paths for him. Every valley shall be filled in, every mountain and hill made low. The crooked roads shall become straight and the rough ways smooth. And all the people will see God's salvation. And John said to the crowds coming out to be baptized by him, you brood of vipers. Who warns you to flee from the coming wrath? Produce fruit in keeping with repentance. And do not begin to say, your, say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. For I tell you that out of these stones, God can raise up children for Abraham. 
The axe is already at the root of the tree, and every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. Well, what should we do then? The crowd asked. John answered, anyone who has two shirts should share with the one who has none. Anyone who has food should do the same. Even tax collectors came to be baptized. Teacher, they asked, what should we do? Don't collect any more than you're required to, he told them. And then some soldiers asked him, and what should we do? And he replied, don't extort money and don't accuse people falsely. Be content with your pay. The people were waiting expectantly and were all wondering in their hearts if John might possibly be the Messiah. And John answered them all, I baptize you with water, but one who is more powerful than I will come, the straps of whose sandal I am not worthy to untie. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand to clear the threshing floor, to gather the wheat into his barn, but he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. And with many other words, John extorted them, uh, exhorted the people and proclaimed the good news to them. But when John rebuked Herod, Herod was kind of the ruler, the king of the region there, and he rebuked Herod because of his marriage to Herodias, his brother's wife, and all the other evil things he had done. Herod added this to them all. He locked John up in prison. Father God, I pray as we unpack your word together as a church family that you would um, speak to each and every one of us in a very personal way. Um, We believe as a church that your scripture is alive and that it speaks. And so, God, I pray that you would minister to all of our hearts today. And I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, for those of us who've spent any amount of time in church, whether we started attending church as adults or we've we've grown up in church and we've always been a part of it, the ministry of John the Baptist is very, very familiar. You might have seen Jesus movies in the past. You might have seen some of the new Jesus movies that have been made over the last few years. You know, and you always got this wild-haired, crazy man, John the Baptist, eating bugs, dressed in camel fur, baptizing people out in the Jordan. It's, it's very familiar to us as Christians today. But in John's day, the, this thing that he is doing is absolutely radical. See, John is doing something that people haven't really seen before. Now, in the Jewish faith, they would do things um, where they would wash in order to become pure, in order to become clean. So, and not clean like because they got to wash the dirt off their hands, even though that is a part of it. It was to be seen as to be clean before God. So they would have like a ceremony where they would wash their hands a particular way. We even see an account where sometimes people are told to go into the river, go into water and dunk themselves in the water several times in order to be cleansed and cleaned of leprosy and things like that. So we do see water playing a part in, in kind of the ancient Jewish faith, but nothing like this. See, John is calling people to repentance. He's calling them to something very, very different. You see, the Jewish leaders of this day were calling people to obedience. They were calling people to obedience. 
you must keep these 613 commandments and traditions that we adhere to as the people of God. You see, when we kind of study the Old Testament, that's where we get this 613 commandments of the people of Israel, of the religious leaders of Israel, the tradition of the elders. Sometimes it's known as that. It's not just simply the Ten Commandments, but there's all these other rules, all these other regulations. And the Pharisees and the Sadducees were actually just going around looking for the people that were being disobedient. Uh, my wife and I, we actually just started watching the... Um, the series, The Chosen, which is a new series created on the life of Jesus. And I, I was struck by that picture of Pharisees because you read about them. And these are men who, who love the word of God, who love the Lord, who love their traditions. But when you see them in that light, that they have taken it upon themselves to be the spiritual police of people, <laughs> To point out every fault, to point out every failure, to point out every shortcoming and every sin. <laughs> well, they weren't overly popula popular with regular, ordinary people. Because they saw themselves as the religious elite, calling people to obedience. You must obey. John is doing something different. He's calling people to repentance. What repentance is, it's taking a good long look at your own heart. It's not John looking at your heart, but it's you yourself, me, myself, looking at our hearts and realizing we've got junk in our lives. <laughs> And this junk is what the Bible calls sin. We think of other people poorly. We don't think of other people as, as wonderful image bearers of a holy God. We think of people as problems. We think of people as in the way. We think of people as distractions. We think of people as beneath our status. Whatever it is, these things creep in. Right? There's so many ways that you and I have junk in our thoughts, in our hearts. And whenever though that junk, that sin is in your mind and it's in your heart, whenever that happens, it always, always, always ends up being lived out in action. That's just the way we work as human beings. Whatever we put into our heads, whatever we allow into our hearts, will eventually start coming out in how we act, in how we behave, in how we do things, how we live our lives. Right? And so John's message here is calling people to repentance. You need to turn from those sins. And the baptism that he is doing is not so that you can be clean, just so that you can go to the temple. It's, it's a symbol of death. That you need to die to those sins. You need to die from it, and you need to completely turn from that way of living. You need to change your heart. And he talks about this, that he's preaching this repentance 
Now, what's interesting about repentance is, just like I shared, is then it leads to a change of lifestyle, a change of lifestyle. So when the people were hearing this message, wait a minute, John's not calling me to obey. John's calling me to repent. Well, what does that mean for me? Well, what it means is if you truly repent, you're going to start living different. If you truly repent, you're going to start to be generous. If you truly repent, you're going to stop taking advantage of people. If you truly repent, you're going to start to feel more content with your life. Right? This is what this message is going. And this is why it's upsetting the religious leaders. Because the religious leaders love obedience. And it's fascinating to me how we know this so clearly from the teaching of the Bible, from the Gospel of Luke, from all the writing in the New Testament. We know that faith in Jesus is all about repentance, that we call people to turn from sin and to turn their hearts back to God. But yet, for some reason, in our human flesh, we love calling people to obedience. You see, when the church is more concerned with obedience than repentance, then we, I believe, as Christians, as the church, we are the ones who begin to start making religion and faith very complicated. (laughs) See, I remember when I was young and growing up and, you know, and attending a church that that we attended uh, when I was little, um, I had a lot of questions. I had a lot of questions about faith. And, And I was told at a very, very young age, that it is inappropriate of you to ever ask any questions about God. It is inappropriate of you to ever ask any questions about the church. And so all these questions that I had just kind of spiraled and spiraled and spiraled and just sat in my head. And eventually I just couldn't find my answers. And then I just kind of walked away from it. <laughs> you know. But nowhere in the reading of the Bible do you ever hear this language of do not question God or do not kind of, you know, study this, do not look at it, do not wrestle with it. We see regular, ordinary people wrestling with their faith all the time. And God actually seems to be okay with it. Right. And but again, we set up these rules and these traditions again. So I wasn't allowed to question, wasn't allowed to, you know, have doubt. I just had to believe Um, I had to dress a certain way. I was young and I actually once as a young boy, I remember this. I was really young. I can't remember what grade I was in. I might have been in grade four. And on a Sunday morning, I think my my dad had to go to work that weekend. uh, And my mom was dealing with my two younger sisters. So I just went to church by myself in grade four. Now, you know, kudos to a kid in grade four who just kind of, I, I could walk to the church from where we lived. And I actually remember being told, um, go home and get changed by the usher at the door. Why? Shouldn't the church be thrilled that children in the neighborhood are coming to their church? But no, but we complicate it. We make it about obedience. We make it about rules. We make it about traditions. Sadly, way too many of us as Christians look more like the Pharisees. And that is a heart thing that 
all of us have to go through. I've had to check my own heart on that because I like church a certain way. I like my traditions a certain way. There's nothing wrong with them if they draw you closer to God. But if they become rules and regulations that you put on people where God doesn't put those things, you're living more like a Pharisee than a follower of Jesus. So we've got to be mindful of that. So the contrast between the call to obedience and the call to repentance. John is preparing people for the message of Jesus. Because Jesus' message is all about repentance. It's all about receiving a new heart. Right When you confess that you have sin, you've got junk, and you know you can't be religious enough to deal with it, when you realize that, then, then you get this new heart. Then you go on this journey with Christ as he empowers you to live out your faith. See, our faith becomes so complicated when we forget about the simplicity of Jesus' message. See, I, lo- I love this description here of, of from the prophet Isaiah talking about John's ministry when it's talking about preparing the way for the Lord, right? So John is out there. He's proclaiming a message of repentance. He's calling people to turn from their sins, turn their hearts back to God, just like kind of the old prophets of old. That's what they used to do. Call people out on their sin, turn back to God, let God come back into your life and into your heart. And then that will deal with everything else around you. But it gives this description of making this, the path straight, Like if you think of a road, right, you think of a very, very curvy road, right, with a lot of turns and a lot of bends and a lot of hills and a lot of valleys, a lot of dips when you're driving on this road. I actually have the perfect road in mine. Uh, Way back when my parents were living up north, uh, there's this little country road that follows the Ottawa River. And you kind of leave Ottawa, you follow the highway, follow the Ottawa River, you you get to Mattawa, the main highway goes that way. And there's this old loggers road that the logging trucks use. These are the trucks that carry all the trees that are chopped down that make paper. And this road is brutal. It just dips and goes crazy. And I love driving that road because it's like, woohoo, just feel like I'm in a Star Wars spaceship going up and down through the woods and throw a snowstorm on it. It was a great road to drive. It was crazy. But this message is, no, that road, the mission of John is to make that road straight. The mission of John is if there's a hill, if there's a valley, to flatten it out. To get rid of the bumps, to get rid of the curves, to get rid of the hills, to get rid of the valleys. Make it so straight. Why? So that people can get to Jesus. And that resonates with me at such a deep level. When you and I make faith so complicated, when you and I make church so complicated. It becomes bends and turns and rules and traditions and hills and do this, dress a certain way, behave a certain way, act a certain way, look a certain way, have the right Bible translation, have the right doctrine, listen to the right music, you know, subscribe to the right podcast, all these things ah, that make it so complicated. And people get lost in it. They can't find their way to Jesus. You see, the mission of John was to prepare the way. 
prepare the way for Jesus. And I believe we as the church, we still have the same mission that you and I as the church are called to live lives that make the path straight for other people to get to Jesus. You see, it it's, doesn't have to be so complicated. <laughs> I talk to people all the time, and I've had this conversation um, just this past year with some with some friends of mine um, who wanted to come and check out the church, but they actually asked me, "Well, before I come and check it out, what do I need to do first?" And I was kind of like, well, "What do you mean?" It's like, "Well, because their experience has been showing up into a church building, not wearing the right clothes, or not." looking the right way or not knowing what's going on, all these different things. And they felt unwelcomed and they were actually treated like people who were unwelcomed. So before they wanted to come and check out our church and we're online. <laughs> so it's not like there's going to be an usher that says, go home and change your clothes. Right. But they, because of their past experience, like, well, what do I need to do first? How do I need to be prepared before I can even engage with your church? And again, that kind of, Ah, it breaks my heart because that's not this message of John the Baptist (laughs) is that John is doing everything to make the path so straight and easy for people to get to Jesus. Because ultimately it doesn't matter about the style of music. It doesn't matter about the kind of the things that, you know, we plant churches over or split churches over or all the things that we wrestle with and all of that. All, it's so crucial at the beginning as we, as, as we start someone's journey. It's, it's not obey first. Like we don't give people a list of 100, 613 things to do and then you can come to Jesus. It's no, we're going to do everything to make the path straight so that you can come to Jesus. So that you can know that Jesus His body was broken for you. See, that's why we take communion, to take a moment to reflect and remember the simplicity of the good news of Jesus. That Jesus, who's fully God and fully man, that he was born of a virgin through the power of the Holy Spirit, that he's the second part of the Trinity, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. He came, human flesh, lived a sinless life, and he went to the cross to be broken for you. You see, because God has to deal with the junk in our hearts and in our minds. God has to deal with sin. And when we're really honest with each other, we all know we have junk. We do. We we know it. Now, my junk might not be as bad as somebody else's junk, but it's still junk in God's sight. And it still has to be dealt with. And you and I can't deal with it. Because we can't be good enough or religious enough. And so that's why he sent his son to be broken for us, to pay the penalty of our sin for us. So his body was broken. And so we take bread, remembering that Jesus died for us. We take the cup of juice, which symbolizes the wine that they took at the Last Supper, which ultimately symbolizes the blood of Jesus, because we realize that it's not even baptism that washes us, washes sin away from us. That it's only the blood of Jesus. I mean, remember that old classic hymn, right? What can wash away my sin? It's not baptism. It's not obeying. It's nothing but the blood of Jesus. 
That's why we continue that song. Oh, precious is the flow that makes me white as snow. Our repentance, when we turn from our sin and we turn to what Jesus has done for us, that is what makes us new. And then God's spirit comes in and it's after repentance. It's after coming to Jesus. Then God begins to work in our lives. Then God starts to work on us and starts to make us more generous to people. Because we realize that people are in the exact same boat that we're in. Right? When we kind of take advantage of people, our eyes are opened to that. And we realize, oh my goodness, how could I take advantage of another brother or sister like that? And we stop doing that. Or when we're not content with our lives, we can actually find contentment in our relationship with God. It all flows out of repentance. So today we're going to just take a moment to take bread, to take this juice together, to be reminded of this incredible thing that God has done for us. That God has come to deal with our junk, to deal with our sin. He invites us into his family. He invites us into his, a relationship with him. And every single person is welcome to come regardless of what your life looks like. And maybe you're joining us here today and you'd go, man, I have a lot of junk. And honestly, I've never really dealt with my junk. You can actually take communion with us today. But first, I would just ask that you deal with your junk. That you would just pray quite simply, God, forgive me of this junk. Forgive me of this sin. And thank you that Jesus came, that his body was broken, that his blood was spilt to pay a price that I could never pay. I know I've not been obedient. And so forgive me of that, Lord. But today I come to you for forgiveness. Today I come to you in repentance. I turn from that sin and I turn my heart to you. If you pray that way for the first time, there's a chat, uh, a pop-up that shows up in the chat. I would love to follow up with you to get some free resources to you to help you on your journey with Jesus. And you are welcome to partake in bread and juice together today. So I'm going to pray as you take the bread and the juice with wherever you are right now with your family or even by yourself, wherever you are. Let's just take a moment to reflect. Let's take a moment to remember the sacrifice of Jesus. That it's not out of our obedience that we're made clean. It's out of Jesus's obedience that we have been made clean from our sin. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you for the sacrifice that Jesus made for us. I thank you for the sacrifice that Jesus made for me. And Father, I, I pray that I've not always remembered that in such a way that would cause me to truly live the way I wish I lived. But God, I'm so grateful for your forgiveness. And so Father, as we take this bread together, I pray that we would just reflect on the sacrifice of Jesus and what that means for us in our lives. We pray in Jesus' name. And Heavenly Father, as we take the cup that represents the blood of Jesus that was built for us on the cross, 
we're reminded that we are made new, that we are made as white as snow, not out of obedience, but out of repentance. And so, Father, as we take this cup together as a church family, I pray that you would just really fill our hearts with that reminder of what Jesus has done, that we would rejoice and give thanks to him that he would die for our sin. And we take this in remembrance of him. John the Baptist lived a life that seemed a little crazy than all the lives around him. And I believe you, as a follower of Jesus, me, as a follower of Jesus, our church, as believers in Jesus, are called to live a life that looks a little crazier than everybody else around us. That you and I continue the work of preparing people's hearts to come and know Jesus. You and I continue the work of straightening out the path to get people to Jesus of not making it so complicated, of not putting all these barriers in front of people, of not putting all these things, these stumbling blocks that keep people from coming to Jesus. John talks about in verse 8 where he wants you to produce fruit. And what fruit is, it's that lifestyle. It's your behavior. It's your joy. It's, it's your patience. It's, it's the way you would suffer for the sake of others, that there's this... You know, continue that you're bearing fruit. Again, not out of religious rules, but out of that relationship with God. He talks about becoming more honest. He talks about becoming more content. Right? And as we go through this journey over the next couple of months in this text, that is ultimately my desire for each of us, for myself included, that, man, we would live lives that are making the path straight for more and more people to come to Jesus. Because when you and I live that way, out of that heart of repentance, that heart of seeking God and God's will, then God brings joy and blessing and transformation into our lives. So I pray that you would be encouraged as we go on this journey together. God bless.